If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Side Hustle Show 178, how to build a six-figure eBay business part-time. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. So you can write your own paycheck. Today's guest has done exactly that, hustling to build up a business selling products on eBay. Daryl Fitzpatrick has sold more than a hundred grand worth of stuff in the last 12 months, and that's in addition to his full-time job. Now, you remember eBay. They've been around 20 years and are still one of the most popular sites in the world. I think this aligns perfectly with our buy button strategy. I'm going to marketplaces that already have an audience of buyers. So stick around to hear how Daryl sources profitable inventory, the product categories he likes, and the systematic way that he's got his auctions set up to really minimize his time investment. He gets pretty detailed on this stuff, which I absolutely love. But if you don't feel like taking notes, you don't have to because I've compiled a free PDF highlight reel with all of Daryl's top tips. You can grab your copy plus check out all the links and references from this episode at SideHustleNation.com slash eBay. Ready? Let's get Daryl on the line. Initially, it was really just a way to get rid of odds and ends, just things I had laying around, some things I didn't even know the value of, some things I think I was being very delusional about the value of. (laughs) I remember one time I, I went in my stepdad's basement and I found these old magazine articles from when Michael Jordan won his uh, fifth and sixth championship. And I just knew, like, I was just so sure that these things were going to sell for like 20000 I was going to be rich. And <laughs> I, I think I got like five bucks, <laughs> you know, a piece for each article. So it started off there. Big dreams about, you know, what this may be worth or that may be worth. I started to really see the value after doing it for about a year or so, and just volume. It wasn't that I was going to necessarily hit a home run and have one thing that was worth a lot of money, so much so as I was going to have all of these little items. And if I could profit, you know, 20, 30%, but do it over the course of 100 or 200 items, then, you know, it would be nice extra income. And when I initially started, I actually wasn't working a job. And so it was the only thing I did. And I kind of I fumbled around for a while, to be honest with you. After, like you said, the garage was cleared out, after I sold old T-shirts, old shoes, you know, things that I really didn't care about, I had no idea where to actually get inventory from. So I remember I I bought this Mac. It was the, the very first thing I had that had an Apple logo on it. 
and it actually wasn't even a Mac. It was a Dell tower that had a Mac monitor. What? But it was Mac. <laughs> it was a Mac to me. Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, every single day, I would get up and for hours, maybe about literally about eight to nine hours, I would go through Craigslist ads and I would call people. Anything that looked like you know, slightly below value, like maybe somebody wanted 150 for something that I felt like I could sell for 200. Even if the profit was really, really slim, I would just call people. And I, I mean, I must have made, geez, maybe three to 400 calls a day. I was just relentless. Man, that is a hustle. I, I admire. Yeah, I would. And I would ask people, you know, whether you were selling one phone or 20 phones or one computer or 20 computers, I would always just kind of sit and talk with people and see, okay, is this just one thing you're just selling your old phone or is this, you know, do you know somebody, you know, do you work at a store and you have a discount? And the funny thing is by the time I was 21, I literally built a network of people in Atlanta who just like people that worked at this cell phone store, that cell phone store. And sometimes it was in-store discounts. Sometimes it was people that would be at a, at a warehouse. They would go like they, there were these warehouses that did electronic auctions. Like you could come and buy a whole pallet of electronics okay. and you couldn't really sift through it. Yeah, you couldn't really sift through it, but you could just kind of view it almost like if you were buying a storage unit or something right, like right. that. Right, right. You could look at it, but you can't really inspect any of this stuff. And, and yeah, and you just had to kind of assign a, a value to it and bid. I never got to attend the auctions myself, but I had a friend who would go and um, I think he didn't want to tell me exactly where he was going and about his sweet connection because he was... <laughs> That might be the last time you heard from me. So, you know, slowly I began to sell just better and better items. And, you know, I fumbled around for a long time on eBay. I lost a lot of money, to be honest with you, just trying to figure it out. So a couple of things I um, want to touch on. You know, number one, it sounds like, OK, I'm going to niche down and focus on electronics. Yeah. And number two is I'm going to put in some serious hustle and the networking involved in that. Like, if I'm going to make 300 calls a day. Somebody I'm going to talk to is going to know somebody. That lead is going to go somewhere beyond just this one transaction, this one item. I think that's kind of a really interesting, perhaps unintentional takeaway of making all those calls. How did you lose money? If you were buying low, I mean, this is kind of a buy low, sell high business model. How do you, you said you lose money. How did that happen? The thing about electronics is what's new today is not new tomorrow. And that's, a, that's an exaggeration of a reality. I mean, it's not necessarily, it doesn't happen that quickly that your new iPhone or your new BlackBerry or your new Samsung is old tomorrow, literally. But that's how quickly that technology evolves. So one of the ways I lost money was just not constantly being aware of how the values of certain things would change. So a phone that you sell for $200 today, you can't sell it for $200 a month from now, you know, because they may have released a new phone. There may be a newer model. There may be an update that this phone can't support, you know, and all of these things affect the value. And so I had to learn to be more disciplined and, and, and know my facts before I went and spent money. So that was one way that I lost money. So how do you do your due diligence in terms of trying to figure out how quickly an item is going to turn? Or did you have like a, a specific margin or criteria you're looking for on that front? My rule of thumb is pretty simple. If you are buying something that's new, something that has just been released, then you have the room that that value is going to stick. So in other words, when they release an iPhone seven, the value of that iPhone seven is going to stick for a long time. So if you buy one and you know, hey, the store is selling the phone for a thousand dollars, each carrier is selling this phone for a thousand dollars. Well, if you get your hands on the phone for seven hundred dollars, you're fine. 
you know, that value is not going to change. Where are you going to find it for 700 bucks though? Well, the funny thing is what something is worth is really a matter of perspective. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times that I have purchased something from people, especially on Craigslist, because they had a bill to pay. Like people, like I have to make my car note. So I know this is a brand new phone that I just bought last week. But if you'll give me this much for it, you can have it. And I mean, literally, that sounds like a one-off. That sounds like uh, that's extenuating circumstances. I mean, it's how I made money for about <laughs> two years. Not only that, but also what I find is um, I put this, not necessarily a program together, but I begin to do this thing where I would keep a very small amount of inventory of phones and computers. And I had a, a following of people who every time they wanted to upgrade their device, they would basically trade me their old device. And I would take something off the price of the new device. And it was just the greatest thing for me because I got to charge them full market value for this new device that didn't cost me quite as much. But then I also got to get their old phone that they didn't care anything about anymore because they were just looking to upgrade. I got to get that for you know a fraction of what it was worth. And people can just be that way. When, once they're done with something, once it doesn't mean anything else to them anymore, you'll be surprised what people are willing to give their stuff away for, literally give it away for. There's like a big company that does the same thing, but that's kind of cool. So you're doing this kind of like out of your garage? I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really was. I just, I knew people that were doing the same thing. I knew people that actually had freestanding stores and that's all I would do, you know, buy low, sell high, but also good business is about knowing people and being able to relate and communicate with people. And I think it's great that I had to call 300 people a day because now I know how to deal with people. <laughs> you know, I know how to talk to people. And so well, imagine that serves you well in, in your sales job, too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, consistently uh, I top the charts here, you know, doing sales and um, my my hunger for more. It just doesn't stop. I mean, the, the kind of money that I'm able to make here doing sales. I think some people would would say, I don't even know why you do anything on the side. But I just have this place, man. I have this place that I'm trying to get to. And until I get there, I can't stop. And when I have already resolved that when I get there, the place I want to be would probably have gone you know, far beyond that. And I'll, I'll still want to work hard. So I just think that's the way to be. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time 
and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. And then are you using the uh, completed listings tool or search to see what an item is worth or using any third-party software to kind of get a value estimation? I use eBay. I absolutely use eBay. If you're, if you're going to sell it on eBay, then see what it's going for, see how it's trending on eBay. So before I buy anything, I search it on eBay. Um, one tip, never search buy and now listings. Buy and now listings do not give you a good representation of what something is going for. It just tells you what people want for it. And, <laughs> okay. you know, <laughs> I mean, something can sit in a buy it now listing for, you know, two or three months and nobody touch it. So you have to look at auctions. You have to actually look at the live bids that people are placing if you want to get a good representation of what something is going for. Yeah, and I'll use the kind of like in the left-hand sidebar, like the completed listings search to see what I was actually like You can see what it's sold for, absolutely. So if you get a phone for $200, is there a target price you want to turn that for? Like, yeah, I want to double my money or I want to make 50 bucks on it or something. If you can double your money, that's awesome. But it, it won't happen very often. If I had to give you a target, if I bought a phone for 200 I like to sell it for 300 Okay. Okay. That's my target. So that would be like a 50% margin. I think that's, that's exactly. great. Exactly. I think that's really good. And depending on you know, how many items you have, it can be, it can be awesome. But then also keep in mind that if you have a lot of items, the goal is not to hold on to anything. So if you, if you're selling it and you're at 40% and you're at 30%, that's okay. That's better than holding it. Because once again, these things, they literally depreciate They you know, as new devices come out, you can't just sit there and hold on to something for a very long time. Yeah. So if something doesn't move in, in a month, do you do buy it now or do you do auction? So I do auctions. You could literally call me the 99 cent store. I thought I start everything at 99 cent. I'm like always like intimidated by like, what if, what if no one bids on it or something? And then I lose all this money. Well, you know, that's why I like electronics. As long as it's a reputable brand, as long as it's something that's popular, that people know it's something you don't have to worry about. But my same stepdad who, you know, all the telling all the stories about him, he did have a bad experience with that. He, he listed, I think it was a, a gas cap for like a Cadillac Escalade or something. And uh, he was telling me what it was worth. And it's actually my fault because he was like, you know, I think it's worth like two or three hundred dollars or something like that. And I said, I'll oh, start at ninety nine cent, you know, just let it go. And I think he sold that thing for like ten dollars. He was sick for a couple oh, of days. Oh, man. It, it's never happened to me personally, but I did get to see it. And that's why I kind of stay in my lane. I, I stick with things that I know are going to attract a fair amount of attention. Do you have to do any device testing to make sure, hey, this thing is work, uh, is going to work, this is going to work with your network, this is, uh, you know, still under manufacturer warranty or something? I'm curious about, like, especially with electronics, like quality complaints and stuff like that. 
Yeah, so there's there's a lot of things that I do. For one, I make sure it's not stolen. That's the first thing. <laughs> yes, that, that would be good. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. So uh, I do have a couple of friends who are able to run serial numbers for me. So I'll call those friends. Do you know what tools they use? I'm curious. So the friends I have, one of the friends I have actually works at a police department. So I don't know what tools he uses, but he's usually able to give me a good gauge on whether I should touch something or, or take my hands off of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what he uses, of course. Other than that, if you're talking about phones, for instance, the way that carriers have evolved now, everything is is tracked. You know, you have an IMEI number, so you can see when something was purchased. You can see, um, you know, whether it's stolen. You can see if it's still financed, because sometimes a device is not stolen, but it's still financed. And what that means is the person who originally purchased it, they went to the store, they made a minimal down payment, and they agreed to pay, you know, in increments over the course of a couple of years or something like that. Well, what the carrier does is if you ever stop making those payments, that phone becomes an expensive paperweight. So that's something you have to check. It can't be activated on any network. It becomes a brick. And so that's, I mean, that's a huge one. When I first started selling phones, that, that was unheard of. But now that's a real thing. Okay. And I think I've done the same thing when I've been buying used phones just for personal use. You can run the serial number or that EMEI, whatever. Like you can check that with your carrier and say like, okay, this is, this is legit. It's going to work. Exactly. Yeah. You can check the IMEI. You can um, see if it's finance. And there are several sites. Uh, Swappa is a good one I use. It's S-W-A-P-P-A. And um, they give you, I believe it's 30 free checks a month. So you can check just 30 devices, and it gives you the entire history. It lets you know if it's blacklisted, lets you know if it can, if it's free to work with the carrier. So that's a big one. Um, Do you sell anything on Swappa or, or these other phone marketplaces? I don't, know. I, I stick to eBay. I don't sell anything on them. I just use them as reference material. I use them for certain features that they offer like that one. But that's about it. Like I've you know, bought and sold on Swappa, and it's, I don't know, it seems like more curated, more civilized than the wild, wild west of eBay. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Well, I I think that there are several sites and several services that are coming along that are just looking at ways to fine tune what's being done on eBay and Amazon. And I think it's working. Like your experience with Swapo, I think sometimes it does work. You know, I tend to be fairly old school. I I like eBay for the attention that it draws. I I just like the fact that you don't have to worry about the kind of traffic that's going to come through eBay, that's going to see your, you know, the site and your particular listing. You know, that's just not a question. People are going to be on eBay. I don't think eBay is going anywhere anytime soon. No, they seem to be, uh, they stuck around so far, 20 years or so. They seem to be uh, doing just fine. Yeah, pretty solid, yeah. So do you do anything to market your listing? So you mentioned, hey, 99 cents, uh, starting auction, anything else uh, after that? How long do you let it run? I like five-day listings. I think five days is just long enough to where people, they can, they can wait. They have the patience to wait five days. So you don't want to do seven or 10-day listings. Okay. But I think it's also long enough to give enough people time to see your listing. I'll do three-day listings on occasion. And the entire time I've done eBay, I may have done a one-day listing like once or twice. I really don't like that one at all. That's like if you got like a super hot item or something? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only time you should really do it is if you have something that, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, is going to jump right to the top of the page. Because eBay, they, they sort it that way. When you search eBay, you, all, you automatically see what's ending very soon. 
So if you have an item that's going to get a lot of attention, then it doesn't hurt you to do a one day listing because people are going to bid and uh, you should still get a fair amount for it. Aside from that, I use subtitles sometimes. It's all kind of features that eBay offers. Was like an extra 10 cents or something to have a subtitle? I think it's 50 cent for that. or And then you can put your listing in bold. You can make it so that if a consumer is you know scrolling down the page, your small picture blows up when they, when they hover over it. So I use little things like that on occasion. But I'll tell people the best marketing, and it's absolutely free, if you have faith in the popularity of your product, it's starting it at 99 cents. I am a firm believer in that because eBay has done their own research. I remember reading a magazine where this guy talked about the science of bidding. He talked about the fact that at some point, the way that we are wired, people will spend more than they actually have allotted towards a certain amount just to win, just because it, it, now it's a war. Now I don't want you to win. Right, right. And, and there's like this whole psychological thing behind it. And so I love starting things off at 99 cents because there are so many people that watch it and there are so many people that view it just because it's so cheap. It's like, oh, my God, this is an iPhone 6 and it's 99 cents. Right, right. You know, <laughs> and so people will start to bid. Now, I get all kind of silly emails like, hey, why are you selling this for a dollar? There must be something wrong with it. It's like, come <laughs> on, man, it's an auction. Yeah, like, don't <laughs> you worry, know? It won't, it'll, it'll go for 450 at the end of the day. Ex- exactly. But I just think that that is the one of the best free marketing tools that you can use to your advantage. And, you know, now, of course, it can burn you. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Have you now have you ever had like a super valuable item like go for less than you paid for it using that 99 cent strategy? Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of items, especially over how long I've been doing it. I've had quite a few items go for less than what I paid for. Never, never so severe that I couldn't make up for it with other items, but I've had it happen. The funny thing is, I'll, I'll tell you a story. One time, eBay, they had issues with their site. And I know this is not great advertisement with eBay, but their site like literally froze for like, I want to say maybe about five minutes. Like you could, like you, you would refresh and nothing would happen. You would try to log out and log back in, nothing. And it just froze. And it, like it literally froze as I had like two computers ending. And so the people that were trying to bid as it was closing, they couldn't do it. Yeah, because all the action's like right at the end of the auction. Yeah, and the computers ended up selling for like really, really cheap. But I emailed both people and I was like, you know, I know you know what happened and you can pretend you don't, but I'm not selling it to you for this. So <laughs> we can try again or, you know, you can you can buy it for this amount. This is what I want. So I ended up just, you know, posting them again and getting what I wanted from them. Oh, interesting. So there is a little bit of a safeguard in place for if that does happen. Yeah, there is. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not um, something that is smiled upon, but you, you do have the option if you, if you sell something to say, you know, hey, I don't want to get rid of it for this. It, it just doesn't reflect that well on you. It can, it can impact your feedback or your seller status with eBay. So it's not something to make a habit of. Yeah. But on a rare occasion, if it's just like something that's ridiculously lower, than what you pay for it, then yeah, you have that option. What do you think of the eBay seller feedback and like how much does that play a role for like new people trying to break into the platform? Like if I have zero feedback, is that gonna hurt my ability to to sell items? As a buyer, whenever I go to eBay to buy, which I do I do very often, I don't buy from people that have zero feedback. I just won't do it. You can have negative feedback because you're yeah, not really gonna make everybody happy. But to have zero feedback, I won't buy from you. And I think a lot of 
eBayers um, feel the same way. So I think the thing to do, and my advice that I give anybody who may hear this and say, hey, I want to start on eBay, buy a few things. So buy a few things that are inexpensive or maybe they are expensive, but it's something that you want and get that positive feedback. Because at a glance, when a person is looking at your page, all they see is that, hey, this guy, you know, Nick has, you know, five feedback and he has 100 percent. And some people don't even go any further to explore and see that all the feedback you receive has been feedback as a buyer. Gotcha, gotcha. So it all goes into the same, in the same bucket. It all goes in the same bucket, and it gives you that that little, I believe, yellow star, and uh, it says 100%. And a lot of times that's all that people need to feel comfortable enough to buy something from you. Tell me about the f- fulfillment side of things. Uh, so you're going to uh, the post office each time one of these things moves or what kind of, I guess, give us an idea of your time commitment and what kind of volume you're doing on a weekly or monthly basis right now. My schedule at work is is pretty hectic. I'm actually still at work right now. I just stepped away to do this. That's the <laughs> so, uh, Yeah. Yeah. My, my schedule is, is crazy. What I do is um I keep myself on a very strict schedule. I list things on Saturday. Saturday evening, I list things. The best time to list your items, in my opinion, is between about 5 p.m. and about 9 p.m. Eastern time because it's not too late for people that are on the East Coast. And then you take it an hour back, two hours back, three hours back. It's still a decent time for people who are all the way in California. So I think that's a pretty good time. I list things on Saturday. I put it on a five-day listing because then it ends on Thursday. The reason I do that is because it ends Thursday evening, of course, because I started it Sunday evening. It gives people the rest of Thursday and all day Friday to pay. Typically, everybody's paid by Friday. And so what I do Saturday morning when I actually have a little bit of time off, I go ship every day. Gotcha. Okay. And that's, that schedule works really – as long as I stick to it, it works really well for me. Okay. That's a good system. So you're not like having things end at different times during the week and having to do you know multiple shipments. That's a smart way to batch, uh, batch process it. Exactly. Yeah. I saw something on eBay where they started kind of a similar to Amazon's uh, fulfillment by Amazon program, where it's like, ship your items to us and we're going to take a 20% cut and we'll list it for you. Ever experimented with that? They lost me at 20% cut. <laughs> um, <laughs> I saw that. They actually sent me, They, I'm probably not special. They probably sent everybody an individual email about it. But uh, as soon as I read the terms, I said, no. No way. No. Yeah. I mean, because depending on the item, 20% may literally be my profit. Right. So that's not going to work for me. I think it may work for some people. I think that if you are someone who is getting rid of your old items and you're still in that phase of cleaning out your garage and your basement, then something like that may work for you because these things, they really don't have much value to you. They're, they're, they've just been laying around in your garage. Or so, so something like that, just the convenience and the peace of mind then maybe that's something you'll go for, but that does not work for me. What kind of fee do they take? Is it like 3%, 5%? So they take very close to 10%. Oh, man. Okay. Um, it's like nine point something. Yeah, they, they pretty much take about 10% of the final value of something. So that's the ending bid. They've cracked down some too because now they take a final value fee from your shipping too, like your shipping cost if it's over a certain amount. The reason they do that is a, a, a lot of people – kind of considered themselves being clever. And what they would do is if they wanted $25 for a pair of shoes, instead of listing it for $20 with $5 shipping, 
they would list it for $5 with $20 shipping. <laughs> and so the reason they would do that is because, okay, you sell it for $5. Well, eBay only takes 50 cent of that. And then that's a good, that's a good workaround until they crack down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now what they do is they give you an estimate of what you should be charging for shipping and whatever amount you are above that amount they gave you, then they, they take a percentage of that just to deter you from, you know, doing that. So, all right. What's, what's next for this thing? You continue hustling as you are, or do you see yourself like starting your own e-commerce store, going into you know, selling items on Amazon? What do you see as, as the future of this business? So the funny thing is it just started here and I still do it pretty consistently. Uh, I, I continue to bring in uh, very good numbers, but I've moved on to some other things on the side, man. I, I have a lot going on. So I have the eBay store. I also have recently purchased like a few used cars and I'm looking to purchase my first property. So diversify. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I'll necessarily push eBay much harder than where it is right now. That could change, but I like to keep it around and I like to just stay well versed at, you know, their, their terms and, you know, everything and, you know, just kind of stay in the flow of it so that um, if I ever decide to really pursue it really hard, then I, I don't have to play catch up essentially. Yeah, well, it sounds like you got it pretty well dialed in and, and systemized at this point. So it's not taking up a, a huge amount of your time. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the system I have in place, it's, um, I mean, you figure I spend about two hours every Saturday night, two or three hours posting, things. not every Saturday, but, you know, a lot of Saturdays uh, posting items. The thing is, you can schedule them too. So sometimes when I get off work Friday, if I'm not tired, I'll go ahead and list them then and I'll just schedule them to start on Saturday night. So when Saturday comes around, I don't have to do anything and they just all go live at certain times. So I'll do that sometimes. But you figure I have that and then I just ship on Saturday and that's about it. And of course, you have your one offs. You have uh, people who don't pay or you have uh, people who want to return the item. And so a lot of times you'll get the item back. And depending on why they returned it, if it's something that has more to do with them than it does the actual item, you'll go ahead and relist it. So you may relist it on a Wednesday which kind of throws off your schedule. But for the most part, I stick to that schedule. I'll also tell people this. In terms of electronics, develop a skill. You know, I have a friend who all he does is he fixes screens. So you break your screen on your Mac, you break your screen on your iPad or your phone. You purchase his uh, service through eBay. You send him your device. He fixes it. He sends it back. And because he gets so many every single day, I mean, he just makes a killing. And, And it's really off of... You know, he, he's selling a service. He's not selling a product. So, all, I mean, all he has to do. I didn't even really know you do. could sell services on you. That's, oh, yeah. that's yeah, a really interesting one. Yeah. Well, now, now we'll get, we're going to dive into this, <laughs> this whole new rabbit hole. I love it. Uh, Daryl, thanks so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I used to work for an older guy. Uh, I lived in Louisiana for a year. And uh, John was maybe about 60 years old. White hair. We used to call him Colonel Sanders because he looks exactly like a skinnier version of Colonel Sanders. Okay. But he used to always preach to me that money has a time value. People don't realize that there's time associated with the value of money and the value of things. And so he used to always you know, tell me that if you can remember one thing, just remember to strike while the iron's hot. Whatever it is, just strike while the iron's hot. And I think like to this very day, that follows me. And I think about that. I just think about the time value of money, you know, becoming rich, if that's something you want to do, or, 
you know, developing a great side hustle, if that's something you choose to do as well, you don't have forever to do it. You don't, you know, in the same way that your car, that's a 2016, you know, is won't be the newest model three years from now, the same thing works with money. So you really have to strike while the iron's hot. That's the reason I diversify. That's the reason that I invest. I, you know, I say take, you know, what I do every month. And now I've gotten to the point where my investments fund themselves. So eBay funds itself. I keep a healthy reserve to buy things for eBay. Mm-hmm. And it just, it cycles itself. You know, that money stays aside. You're playing with the house's money at this point. Exactly. The same thing with vehicles. What I did to get started, and my best advice to people, is create a budget. Create a budget. Know where every penny is going. Because what I did before I had a healthy reserve is I would take my paycheck, I would take my budget of things that I had to pay, and I would take that money out, and I would take a small, a very small percentage to have as kind of, I guess, play money, you know, just to just to kind of keep in my pocket. And I would take the rest, whatever was left, and I would just invest it all. Just invest, you know, because as long as it's a sound investment, it's something you've done your research on, you don't have forever to play around with it. So, you know, that's my thing. It really is, you know, it is a go hard or go home type mentality that I have. And so that's what I would tell people. Just recognize the time value of money. Recognize that time may be the only thing that is more valuable than money. And so you have to really, in a short amount of time, you have to really go for what you want. I remember I was looking at CDs when I was in school. People would always preach to me CDs and I mean certificates of, depo- of, of deposit, not music so CDs. You're, you're way too young for music CDs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people would would always preach. And, and so I remember being, you know, this was just a couple of years ago. I actually started to research. Okay, well, let me look at, you know, a certificate of deposit. Let me see what type of return I get. And, and you know, I was, a, I was astounded that people even bother with them. And I know that sounds like the worst financial advice ever. But what I concluded is in the same time that it takes a CD to mature and for you to yield whatever that percentage is, which is not a whole lot. Two percent, something. Yeah. You know, I could have taken your same money and oh my God, I could have turned it over two or three times, <laughs> you know? So that's really what I look at. I look at investments that are safe, uh, legal, ethical. You have to be able to sleep at night. So, you know, look at the ones that are ethical, that you'll feel good about yourself uh, when you're done. And, you know, look at the ones where you can really get in and make something happen quickly. And I mean, that's my advice, man. That's what I do. I love it. You've done, uh, you've done awesome with it, Daryl. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Daryl. This was one of those calls where I just woke up or I just hung up uh, the call buzzing with excitement over, over his hustle, his generosity in, in sharing how this business works. So as promised, my top takeaways from the call, number one, build a network. If, um, if you can eventually get sellers to come to you as Daryl did, you're, you're in a good spot. You're in a good position. Now, of course, it took some time to build up that reputation, but it starts one email at a time, one phone call at a time. Like he, like he said, you never really know who you're doing business with, who else they might know, what other inventory they might have. It's the same reason the, the trainers in my college painting business, uh, implored us to knock on every single door, no matter how shiny the paint on the house was, because hey, you you never know what the back looks like. You never know what rental properties they may own. You just, you don't know. And so you start the conversation and you see what happens. Number two is to sell bigger ticket items. Just like Daryl mentioned, like, hey, it's all about the volume. But 
he's also doing business in some bigger ticket items, like hundreds of dollars worth of phones or laptops at a time. And just, I was kind of surprised by like Ryan Finley selling appliances in episode 72. But it makes sense. Like it's easier to make $50 or $100 on one deal than $1 on 50 deals or 100 deals, if that makes sense. Number three is to allocate hustle budget. Take a percentage of what you earn and say, okay, this is going to be my play money to try and grow my business. And as always, uh, you know, don't make a bet you can't afford to lose. But I thought Daryl's point was a really smart way of framing it. You can leave me a comment with your thoughts and takeaways over at SideHustleNation.com. The specific link for this episode is SideHustleNation.com slash eBay. And on that page, you'll also be able to download a free PDF highlight reel with all of Daryl's top eBay sales tips. Question for you. Are you coming to podcast movement? I'm looking forward to the conference in Chicago next month, and I'm actually hosting a one day side hustle accelerator private mastermind event the day after the show, which is uh, Saturday, July 9th. So if you're going to be in town for that, or if you're local to the area, check it out at sidehustlenation.com slash Chicago. We'd love to see you there. Hit me up if you have any questions about that. That's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there, make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to The Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.